0: Hey, good morning. It's good to see you today. Could you turn around to someone and say good morning to them or beside you or whatever for a moment? Just to take a moment to kind of get to know them. If you don't know them, ask them their name. Wow, it'd be odd that we actually left knowing someone's name, right? It'd be really good because you know what? Today we're going to talk about love. Yes, we're going to talk about love and I'm really excited to share that with you this morning. So I've been thinking about that all week and how we are living and loving out uh, through God's great mercy within our lives and, and such a powerful thought and so as we get ready grab your Bibles turn to Romans chapter 12 or your devices and we're going to actually start in Romans 12 and verse 1 and then we're going to skip over to verse 9 in a moment where we find most of our teaching for today so we're going to talk about love this morning so I, I put some questions together to kind of get our mind going right and so what causes Christians to love each other? You know, why do we love one another? What's the motivation? And you say, oh, that's very easy to answer because God says we have to, right? That's that's it. So if you're sitting at home or those at uh, those at home or those here in the building this morning and you say, well, that's why I love because God tells me I have to love. It is because I want to go to heaven, you know, when I die at some point, And so I have to do that. And, and some of you say, well, we love each other because we agree on most everything we do and and, and I think, well, really, because if love is determined by agreement, then all of you that are single in the room this morning never get married, okay? Understand that, right? Because if you want somebody to always agree with you, then get a dog, all right? Get a dog, not a cat, but get a dog, okay? Because they will always agree with you for companionship, right? So it's not that we always agree with one another. So I had another question then. What about loving each other when we harm one another? And he said, but Mark, Christians don't. Well, Christians do that. Why? Because we are sinful and broken people, yet redeemed, but yet we're still living in a sinful and broken world, so we do harm each other. And I thought of another question. But what about when we have to address each other through the medium of truths? What about when we have to speak truth to one another? You see somebody. disintegrating before your eyes and you have to speak truth to them about something in their life, then then how do you navigate that? And so you say, well listen, I don't want to be involved in that because my my life, I know I'm a hot mess as it is, right? My own life. And my mama always said to me that, you know, clean up your own backyard before you clean up anybody else's backyard, right? And mama isms are always right, but not exactly right on as far as a biblical target for us this morning. So what about this love thing, right? What about Having love for one another. You said, but Mark, if you're going to talk from Romans chapter 12, we've already been in Romans chapter 12. I know we have. It's the chapter that we used a few weeks ago in our Better Together series where we talked about becoming and belonging. We talked about how community is absolutely amazing for us. And then we also talked about uh, that of our growth in God. And so, yes, we did. So we read from the first part of that, but then we want to hit this last portion that we missed, start miss, starting at verse 9. But when I, when I really looked at this chapter and thought about it a lot, I thought, wow, it would be really great after three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, being the three most difficult theological chapters to understand in probably the entire Bible. Now we're going to have this nice, soothing, warm sermon about love. Can I tell you, remove the word nice, warm, and soothing from your vocabulary today because it's challenging. It's challenging to love each other in the way that the Bible challenges us to love, to love each other. It really is. So let's start with Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And here's what he says to you and I. Here's what he says. I appeal to you, therefore. I stop for a point there. Because what he's saying after these last chapters that we have talked through, he says in light of all of those things that we have gone through, then this is a how-to chapter for us. This is a how to. This chapter is much more, it's much more descriptive for you and I than it is prescriptive. It's going to actually give you some some steps, some practical things that you can enact within your life. And then he addresses it to brothers, brothers and sisters, those in Christ. And then the most powerful five words after that by the mercies of God. I underline, italicized. Bolded, and then I also highlighted. Why? Because it's powerful. Because everything that you and I read after this in chapter 12 simply is only accomplishable by these five words that of, in the light of the mercies of God. And so, what I realized when I look at this, I realized what it says to me now. It says this, be To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. And we could add by the mercies of God there. By the mercies of God, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the mercies of God, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. You could even add by the mercies of God there also what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Therefore, he says, in light of God's mercy in our life, that this is the way our lives should look. Fleshed out in clear view of God's mercy and forgiveness and grace and love for you and I. He said, in clear view of that, then we're going to deal with love. How How should I love? How, how is that possible when I'm harmed or hurt? How is that possible when the person that I'm to direct my love toward, is very challenging in loving. How can I do that? How can I love when there's so much difference between us? How, how do I really navigate this territory? And so here's what he says in verses 9 through 21, and he gives us some thoughts, and he starts out with this, that our love must be genuine. By the word genuine, write unhypocritical. Write the word unhypocritical. I think that's important. Our love must be genuine. He says in verse 9, let Love be genuine is what he says. We'll deal with the rest of verse nine in just a moment. That means that I can't be phony with my love. If if that of genuine and, and that's a that's a synonym for uh, or, or it's an opposite word for that of phony, then then I can't be phony with my love is what he's saying. To put it kind of in our understanding of what he's what he's communicating with us, and, and that is that that I'm not just loving you because I'm commanded to love you. Yeah, I'm not just loving you because the Bible says I have to love you. That's that's not it at all. So what makes my love real? Do I accomplish that within my own will? Is my heart big enough to love all of you and and to love you when you're challenging and when you harm me? Is my heart really that big enough? And I'm going to tell you it's not. Understand that. It's not big enough to do those kinds of things. So my love is only real when I love you in the shadow of God's mercy and God's grace toward me. That's exactly what he's saying. The fuel, the catalyst for me loving you in light of our differences and in light of those moments when I'm challenging or you're challenging to love, the way that you and I do that is simply by loving each other in the shadow of God's mercy and love toward us. Yes, what is, what is he saying? He's saying that don't do the southern thing. Now, what, what do you mean, Mark? Because I offended like half the room, right? Yes, some of you may understand, some of you may not, but don't do the southern thing. And what are you saying? Because I think at times in our lives that we can seem very fuzzy and we can seem very warm and we can seem very helpful on the outside, but in the inside, we're looking at people and we're saying things like, bless their heart. That's what we're saying, right? yes. Well bless their heart. Yes. Do you know do you know what that means? Right? What bless your heart means is you're such an idiot. That's exactly what that means, right? When you drive by someone and and they're on the side of the road and the police officer's behind them and they're getting a speeding citation and you drive by and you look at them and you say, oh, bless their heart, right? You're not calling on the power of God to come and to somehow rescue them from what is about to happen in their life. What are you doing? You're saying, oh, what an idiot. You know, you shouldn't have got caught is kind of what you're saying. And we say that sometimes. Can that, can our pleasantness Mask the way we truly feel, because we 've all tried that at times in our life that can our pleasantness match mask, mask the way we truly feel and, and I say to you, oh, it can't, but if if you think it can, then you are an absolutely proficient actor, and you should be awarded a daytime Emmy. You know what those are for, right? Those are for daytime dramas. We used to call them soap operas. I don't know if you heard that term before, right? But you should be awarded one of those if you think that can mask the way you truly feel because it can. And Paul says, stop. He says, stop all of that. He says, your love has to be real. And how is our love real? Because our love grows out of the fertile ground that is just beneath the cross of Christ. Why and how? Because that ground is absolutely saturated in mercy. Mercy. And the only way that I'm going to love you the way that Christ says I love you is to be reminded about how merciful God is in my life. That's the way in which I'm able to love you. In those moments when you're a pain You know, in the rear, right? And in those moments, yes, when I'm a pain there. And in those moments when you have misused me. And in those moments when you have broken a promise or you have broken trust for me. And we've all had that happen with Christians and non-Christians. We have. How do I love past those moments in my life? I love in those moments of my life because my love has grown for people in that of the fertile ground of the cross of Christ because God was so merciful to me. I love in the shadow of that mercy. Wow. It's a powerful thought that Paul teaches us. It is. And I know for some of you, you've failed in that area, right? You have miserably failed in that area. You have. And for for some of you right now, As I say so many times that you can hear the the dump truck of guilt backing up to your life, about to load you down with this massive amount of guilt because you failed in your life. Let me tell you something about guilt, first of all. First of all, guilt was covered upon the cross for you and I. That it was covered by the sacrifice of Christ through justification as which we've never sinned. But conviction, a challenge for you today to make a change in your life, is totally something different. And I pray that this challenges you and I. It is because we've been there. We've been there in those moments of, of struggle to love one another. We've been there in those moments when we say, hey, man, I love you. But inside, but inside we're saying, bless your heart. You're such an idiot, right? We, we know we have been there in those times. Yes, that some of us have had strong dislike for others. We've, we've had those feelings, haven't we? Some of us have, have hated, right? And you say, Mark, now those are strong words, and it makes us absolutely nervous when we talk about hate, right? We get offended somewhat when we say that. Can I tell you, and I want to be really honest with you today, and, and here it is, okay? I've hated, all right? You say, Mark, I don't know how you say that. You're a pastor. No, what you're trying to say, let me put words in your mouth you strongly dislike. No, no, I have to tell you that there has been times in my past that I have hated. And what I realize in those moments when I fail, in those moments when I don't get it right, What I understand for me that there is great grace and there is repentance upon my heart in those moments. And in those moments when I fail in those areas of loving my brother, what I realize is that there is grace and there's growth for me to change me. And I pray today that it will be growth for you that you find in your heart today a place for forgiveness. You know what I learned about forgiveness a long time ago? that you think that forgiveness actually harms the person that hurt you, and in reality, what it's doing is holding you in bondage to that. Because most of the time, I'm not as absolutely important in someone's life as I think I am, right? Yes? So most of the time, they've already forgotten what I did to them, or they did to me, and they've moved on in life. That's right. And so what I realize is that we find a place in life for us to forgive others. And when we fail in those areas, that there is absolutely amazing, great grace for us. But we love, each other's, uh, we love each other through the mercy of God. Can I share with you a parable? It's a parable that Jesus speaks in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Peter asked him a question. He said, Lord, how often will my brother or my sister sin against me and I forgive them? How often, God? Right? It's a great question. And so... There has to be the magic number. Like, what What would it be? You know, 10. I mean, 10 commandments. There's 10 of them. And after that, I cut you off completely. And you're no longer living, you know, to me kind of deal, right? So, but we know that, and this is not part of what we're talking about, but we know that Jesus basically gives him a number without end. So there's no end to our forgiveness in people's lives. But he says to Peter, let me tell you a parable. And he says to him, if there is this servant who owes his master 10 1000 talents. And I thought 10000 talents sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? But what I realize is 10000 talents is an amount of money in that culture which is not repayable. It's beyond your ability to pay. That's the point. 10000 talents is like all the people on Shark Tank's salaries put together. That's what this is, right? This is a large amount that you will never repay is exactly what it is. And so what happens is that this attention of this account comes before the king. So the, the the master goes out and he arrests the servant and he brings him in before the king. And, and so there is this the conversation between them because the master has all rights what's all rights in, in his in his you know in his ability to place them in slavery his whole family for him to repay the debt, but it's a debt he really can't pay back. And something that hit me this week, and I've I've read this parable so many times, as this parable takes place in front of the king, and, and I thought the king is observing what's taking place between this master and this servant who owes him this absorbent amount. And then what I realized is that my king, my lord, he really observes the way I treat others. It's a very powerful image here that he observes the way you and I love others and how we treat others that have used us or lied against us or taken advantage of us or those that owe us money. Yeah, he takes notice of that. And so here's what happens in verse 26 of Matthew 18. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And then he says, the master says to him, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And I thought, what an amazing story, right? And you've probably heard it before. It's amazing. And, and I thought, wow, what does this guy do? This servant who has just been relieved of this 10,000 talent debt. What does he do when he leaves there? Because he's just won the lottery. This is a mega million winning, is what this is, right? He's, just call, he's got the ticket, man, and he's just won the lottery. And what he does is he leaves there and he finds this old guy who owes him one day's wages, one day's wages, and he chokes him. That's exactly what he does. You say, Mark, this is so far out and exaggerated. It's meant to be that way for you to understand it. You grab the depth of what Jesus is teaching us. And so when the master who forgave him 10,000 talents, he hears that, he brings him back before the king for there to be justice. And, and, And what I realize is this, this guy who was forgiven so much, he fails to love in the shadow of his own forgiveness. And I've done that. I fail to love in the shadow of my own forgiveness. I fail to step back and to remember what God has done for me in my life. And how God found me. And how God still finds me at times. I fail to remember those moments. And when I begin to forget the way that God found me. And I begin to forget God's grace. And I begin to forget God's mercy then what do I do? I become like the servant who finds the guy that owes him one day's debt, and he chokes him. That's exactly what I do. I become that because I'm not loving others in the shadow of my own forgiveness. Love without hypocrisy is what he's saying. You choose to act in love in the shadow of God's mercy and love for you you step back and you remember those moments of what God has done in your life and it changes the way that i love people around me and he says well, hang on there's more to this here's what he says hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good verse 9 says abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good and loving each other is a challenge and and the reality is the more i love you the process of loving you can also bring about this thing in my life where i can fail to see the evil in your life. I can fail to see the evil in your life because I'm trying to love you and with such great tenacity. It really is. And I think back and how this works for us. And I think back as a child. You know, when, when you disobeyed your parents as a child or you sinned and, and you're caught, right? So let me ask you a question. How many of you as a, as a kid growing up that you disobeyed or you sinned and you got caught and you had to face some judgment? Let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. Good. Terrific. Put your hands down. The other ones don't understand the question, or they're lying, right? Like we always say. But the reality is we've all been there. Yes. And far before the the punishment is ever dealt out, far before the judgment is ever given uh, on your case, right? What do you do? Oh, You start... You start weeping and lamenting, don't you? It's exactly what you do. You haven't even got the grounding yet. You haven't even got the, uh, the spanking, if that's what's going to come your way. You haven't, but you start lamenting and you start weeping. Why? Because you know how much your parents love you, and you are going to use that against them. True. Some of you have done that in life, and it worked out well for you. It did, but for some of you, it didn't work out so well. Yes, and that's exactly what we do. But you say to, about people, but I love them, and if I speak the truth into them, if I speak the truth into their lives, then it's going to harm my relationship. It's going to sever my relationship with them. Maybe beyond repair. So how do I navigate those moments when I have a friend or I have someone I love and I have to have a truthful conversation with him? How do I do that? And Paul simply says, hate evil, cling to what is truth. is what he's saying. But I want to be nice. I know that. I understand that. No, no, actually, the greater need in your life is to be accepted. And that's why you're nice. And so you allow that to override your actual love for them. Is what happens, and you will simply turn a blind eye to the evil in their life and the things that you need to talk to them about. Because the path to fulfillment in my life is not self-fulfillment. Mm-mm. It's placing the welfare of others above me is what it is. Mark, oh, that's really difficult, mind-blowing. <sighs> kind of stuff you know it really is and 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 that's really what god did yes yes absolutely but it's not about loving through your will it's loving in the shadow of god's mercy for you understand that. keep that in mind that's why you can't teach this without absolutely going through verses one through two you can't do it you have to understand that because it seems amazingly impossible for for you and i it is So he says, "Wait a minute! I have something else to say to you." He says, "This outdo one another in showing honor." Look at verse ten: "Love one another with brotherly affection." Outdo one another in showing honor. That I demonstrate honor by simply recognizing the intrinsic value of others as being God's creation. That that's how I show honor. I understand that God has valued all people, and I think we have to park there for a moment and understand this statement: that outdo one another in showing honor. Because what honor means is value. And what I have never been given, I have never been given this latitude in my life for being able to appraise a value in your life. I've never been done that. I don't set the value on you. So in light of me not being the appraiser that sets a value in your life, then Who who appraises you and sets value in your life? And I tell you who it is. It is God. He set the value on your life as a human being when he sent Jesus to the cross to redeem humankind. And so that changes everything about how I see people. That everybody is valued to that amount or extent. That you are valued to the life of Christ. It is. So when I deal with people in this life, I don't choose who I value and who I don't. Do you understand that? That we value all people, whoever they are, as different as they are to us, as a different faith system that they have to ours, that we value all people in light of God placing this intrinsic value upon their lives. When I understand historically about the church in Rome, what I realized is that first of all, Rome was this diverse, massive city. And most of the citizens of Rome were slaves, actually. They were. And so Rome is full of slaves and free. Rome is full of Jews and, and Greeks. It's full of all kinds of people, poor, wealthy, this whole diverse group of people. And so the culture in Rome is set up to where it operates in those confinements. It is. So that's so, that's how you live. That's how you're judged, and that's how you're valued. But when they came to the church at Rome, when they came to the church at Rome, it was the only place that they were valued as being God's creation. Why? Because they saw the most common marker and the greatest marker of all of our lives was that of Christ. And so it levels the field. It brings honor to everyone, no matter how diverse we are. That in the church in Rome, you had the poor and you had the immigrants. You had those of diverse ethnicity. You had those that were, were, you know, those that grew up in the synagogue and understood the teachings of the Torah. And those Greeks that just came out of idol worship. Man, you have all these people together and their defining marker is Christ. And it brings honor between people. That we honor one another because we all belong to him. So, can I take a moment to be honest with you? And you say, well, what are we going to say, right? No. You know, in a unison, no. Well, you've never done that before. And if you did, I would still be honest with you, okay? I would still say it. Just, it's just a way to kind of help you to deal with it. <clears throat> because I thought about this value of people a lot this week. And how that in our culture... Boy, that's that's a big thing right now in our culture about how we value one another. And there's so much devaluing of people, I think. And, and so what I realize is that Paul is addressing some real deep things within our lives in this text. So for all of you, here it is. You gotta love me because it's a sermon about love, right? So you gotta love me at least till noon, right? Says, right? And, then, and then after that, you're on your own. But here's the thing that I think That for in this room, there's a lot of you that think things like, man, there's no way that you can be a Christian and be a Republican. And there's a lot of you that think that there's no way you can be a Christian and being a Democrat. And can I tell you, Paul says, stop that. That's what he's saying. He says, stop it. For in the room, the Baptists think the Pentecostals are a little way out there, you know, kind of deal, right? And all the Pentecostals think the Baptists are dry. And he says, stop that. True. True. Can I go further? For all you evangelicals out there, that's us, most of us. You know, if you don't know what that means, Google it. But yet, but that 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 all you're you're making, and I hear this all the time. You're making disparaging comments about Catholicism, and he says, "Stop. You've never been given the right to place a value on anybody." For all of you that are prejudiced toward your brother and your sister because of the color of their skin, because of their ethnicity, because of their country of origin, because of their religion, or because of their political flavor in life, he says, Stop. Honor the value that God has set on people, and that is his son. This week, Reba and I were at a, a home store in Greenville, and we're about to embark on this this kind of remodeling project at our house. So pray for us, please. Should we bow our heads right now? Because we'll need marital counseling after this, probably. And 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 so, uh, it's it's good. I'll just do whatever you say, babe. So it's all on you, okay? <laughs> and that's not what you want to hear, right? And 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 so we went to this store, and and this lady comes to help us, and, and she has a very thick accent, right? And, and so we begin a conversation, and we're talking about countertops, and she's very knowledgeable, and she really helped us out a great deal. And, and so I had to say, where are you from? You know, I just had to ask that. And, and, and I, I made an assumption already, but I said, where are you from? And, and she said, she was from India. And I said, oh, that's amazing. I said, I've never been to India. And so that, start, that sparked a conversation. And she began to tell me about India and tell, Riva, tell us both about India. And she began to tell him, her name is Zainab. Now, her last name, I'm not even going to try, right? It would be just absolutely crazy. It, it, it's just not going to happen. And so she said, just call me Zainab. And so I said it about four or five times in our conversation just to get it down right because I love saying it. And so we talked about it and it said that before she was married, that, that her, her last name, her family name was Hindu. She was raised Hindu. And then after marriage, then her last name is a Muslim last name, so now she's Muslim. And we had a, we had a beautiful conversation with Zainab. It was it was really great. Later on, we talked a little bit about countertops, but we had a, a great conversation about other things, and it was really amazing. And I left there, and we got in the car, and and I said to Reba, "It's that was just that was just a really interesting and uplifting conversation with Zainab today. It really is. You say she's just a good salesman. No, she was more than that. It was more than that." But I thought this week as I was studying through these scriptures, how do people place, how do people devalue others? Because because their background is different, because their ethnicity is different, because of their religion being different. And and I'm not advocating, I'm not advocating for other religions. I realize that Jesus is the son of God and, and I understand that. And, and God is, he, our God is the only God. And, and I say that before you without any apology whatsoever. But I will say to you this, that you and I, as Christians, have never been given the right to devalue others of God's creation. I don't think it was just by chance that we went into that store that day. I don't think it is, and we met Zainab and had that conversation, and then here's what he says to us in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, because when I read all of this and hear the things that I'm just saying to you, I think how impossible they all seem, and he said, don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer, whatever realize it that this is beyond my ability. And so this is a work of the Spirit within my life, that this is a true work of the Holy Spirit resident within me to love others in light of God's mercy within my life, to love others beyond all the boundaries that our culture would tell us that we have to place around our lives. And so what it says is this, that, it, that simply it's about... Being fervent in spirit, I have to have a fire of the Holy Spirit within inside of me. I have to have God dwelling within my life. That this is truly a work of the Holy Spirit. And then through that, I find hope and I practice patience and I pray a lot, is what he says. And then he ends with this thought. That this is both about feelings and it's also about action. Because he says in verse 13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints. That's action. And show hospitality. That if I say I love you, I gotta show it. That's it, right? Isn't that right? They gotta show it. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're gonna turn around and you're gonna give the person right next to you a big old kiss on the lips. That's not what I'm saying to you. And so you're saying, oh God, I hope that's what the Lord does, you know, because that's what I've been praying for. And no, that's not what I mean, but you gotta show it. And there's ways for you and I to show others that, that we love them. And when I was thinking through all of this this week, what I realized is this, it's not that, it's not that the world hates God. That's, that's not my thought, because when I think about this and how they invoke the name of God all the time, man, I, you know, when you sneeze out in public, what do people say? God bless you. No, now when you sneeze, people run for cover It's what they do, right? Like it's an incoming, you know, and you're in the war somewhere, right? And you're going to be splattered with something. And, and so yeah, they say, God bless you. When politicians in sermons, or I'm sorry, they don't have sermons, my bad. When politicians start speeches, well, whatever. Anyway, I, I'll just stay away from that. And 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 so when they end their speeches, what do they do? They say, "God bless the United States of America." Right? When when people see something that is harmful, God have mercy on them. We say that, right? When somebody is. Uh, in trouble and, and you're on you're on social media what do you say hey i'm praying to god for you and i'm i'm sending good thoughts i don't know what how you send good thoughts i haven't gotten that one down yet but i do understand about prayer and about god so i don't i'm not sure the world hates god but i think the world does hate christians why because we tell them that we love them all the time but we're really stinking showing it That's it. And I think that's something that we have to own in our life. That he's talking about that it's more than just me feeling for the world. And we're going to talk about that in a moment as we close. But it's more than that. But it's me meeting some tangible needs in people's lives. And I realize that there is two ways that I can live through this life that I can live through this life open-handed. And I thought about that, you know, that when I live open-handed, it's like, I, it's like I'm surrendering, you know? And when you surrender, you put up your hands and you leave your hands open like this. Why? Because you're transparent. It's sincere. I'm not hiding anything from you when you do that. And when I live open-handed, it's a moment of me surrendering everything in my life, realizing who I am in Christ, and that everything that I have in life is simply a gift of grace from God. So I surrender it in love to others. It is. But I can go through life and I can live clenched fisted. And when I live like this, I live like, well, I deserve everything because I've earned it. And I've worked really hard, doggone it, for what I have. And nobody is going to get what I have. And I live clenched fisted and when I live like this it's only only things that I have in life are what I can hold in these two hands and when I go to leave this world what I simply take with me is what I hold in these hands and that's a sad existence that's sad so I realize that everything in life for me is a gift of grace from God it is So do me a favor, and I don't ask you to do me a lot of favors, do I? I don't ask that at all, no, I don't, but I I just want you to do a favor for me today, and that is erase the phrase from your vocabulary that I deserve this. Erase it, because the reality is what you and I deserve in life, we don't want. We don't want it. Jesus came and paid the price so that we would not get what we deserve in life. Everything that you and I have, every breath that we take, every time we take a bite of food and it tastes really good, that's right, the clothes that we have, the house that we have, the job that you have today, any money that's in your pocket or your bank account today, it's all a gift of God's grace. And you nor I deserve any of it. Amen, Mark. That's good. Thank you. Now, here's the thing. This is true. It's true. It is so true. And you have to continually check yourself up on that, don't you? You really do. But yet I also realize it's about feeling. Almost finished verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That it's not just about meeting a physical need, but it's understanding the heart of those that you are reaching out to man because i think sometimes the easiest thing for you and i to do as christians is just to feed someone or give them some clothing or give them a little bit of money and we're going to do that and that sort of that that sort of helps us with our own conscience and then we feel a little better about ourselves, and then we're all good, and let's move on. And we've done a really good dude, deed, and I think that's fine that, that we do meet those needs. But what I realize is this, the next step that, that Paul simply challenges in here is to understand how someone feels. To go where their heart is. There's a parable, one more parable. You say, Mark, you keep saying one more thing. Well, you know, that's just preachers, but you have to understand that, right? One more parable. It's in the book of Luke this time, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's Luke chapter 10. Read that sometime when you, and, and digest all the elements of that story. We have a man that's on the road to Jericho and what happens is that he falls among thieves and they beat him and they strip him and they take all of his goods and they leave him for dead. And then you have all these religious leaders that come by, but they simply cross to the side of the road and they don't don't assist him. And then you have a Samaritan. A Samaritan that comes by. And there's a lot of elements that are really powerful in that story. But you have the Samaritan that comes by and what does he do? In verse 33 he says, but a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. I underlined those three words. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Those three, that statement, he had compassion, is my favorite Greek word. It's my absolute favorite Greek word. I've used it before, I have to use it again because it's there. And it's this Greek word, splagnidsomehi. Isn't that a great word? Don't you love that word? Yeah. I, I, I should, I'm going to get a t-shirt that says Splagnid omehi. I'm going to put it on there and wear it everywhere. Nobody, people say, what does that mean? Oh, let me tell you what that means. It means compassion. But hang on. It's more than just what you think about compassion. Because what Splagnid Omehi means simply is this, and Jesus is intentional in using this. It's more than bandaging the needs. It's more than putting him on his own donkey. It's more than him putting him up for seven days in the holiday. And it's much more than that. It's a call to place ourselves in their story. And that's an amazing thought. There's a call for you and I to place ourselves in their story. That not only do my hands meet the need, but my heart goes to where they are. When Jesus sees a multitude that are hungry and he's been teaching them, the scripture says that he is moved with compassion. Same word, splagnosomehi. Same word. And what it means is this, that not only does Jesus see their hunger... He feels their hunger in the very pit of his own stomach. He feels what they feel. When is the last time that you have felt what someone else feels in their life when they are struggling? And you can't know how they feel unless you have a conversation with them and you spend some time with them. And that's more than just dropping off a meal. And that's more than just giving them a little money. And it's more than just buying them some clothing. Because in reality, if they could choose between all those kinds of things, yes, they would want to have the money, they'd want to have the clothes, but I think they would much rather have your time. And you simply placing yourself in their story. How does that work, Mark? It works all in the shadows and mercies of God. It does. Last verse, we finish this, verse 20. To the contrary, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. And if he is thirsty, you give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. We like that part, don't we? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. How many times, man, have you heard people say that? And they pull it out of context, right? We love pulling scriptures out of context, right? Because that way we can kind of write our own ticket in the Bible. And so we can say, oh, this is, so this is, I'm I'm just gonna heap some, some burning coals upon their head because the more that I do for them and the nicer things that I do for them, they're gonna feel really, really guilty about how all the bad things they've done toward me. You know, that statement is where, the old idiom comes from that um, kill them with kindness. You ever heard that statement before? If you're living under the principle of killing people with kindness, I'm going to question your motives. I really am, yes. Because what this statement is about, and all of this is about, that my actions are not about placing them under condemnation or, or, or that of guilt, but my actions are pointing them to the gospel it's not about me getting revenge or feeling good because i'm making them feel bad it's not at all but he says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good so as we close this morning what's a win for us because man i like the win you know I haven't really come into uh, the company of a lot of people that say, man, I'm really into losing, you know? No, I, I like to win. So, what's a win? Well, let me tell you what is a lose first, or loss. A loss is for you to continue to live in your sinful nature, that you're continually repaying evil actions in people's lives with evil. That's a loss. But what I realize is that love is the most violent weapon that you and I have in our arsenal today against evil. It is. It's the most powerful thing that we can do to point people to the gospel. Because I can only live this kind of life that Paul lays out for me in the shadow and the direct view of the mercies of God. There's no other way. I thought about this this week and I I forgot to even say this first service I just realized that but this came to me and I wrote this in my journal this week that I'm not called because I think sometimes we we think about love we think about this sentimental type of love and you know it's all a little squishy and gooey and and all that kind of good stuff and And I think sometimes when we think about love and loving the world, we think about that of, that we see the world through these rose-colored glasses. You ever heard that term? Yeah? That I kind of see you in this frame of the sentimental kind of love, right? But what I realize is that God has called me to not see the world through rose-colored glasses. That God has called me to see the world through blood-stained glasses. And that is through the blood of Christ in which he exhibited the greatest act of mercy upon humankind that a good man would die for so many bad ones. And through that, we can love the world. And we can love one another in this room and when we hurt one another, it's, it's not a breakup, right? When we hurt one another, it's, it doesn't destroy the community. When, when we harm each other, which we will do that, then it's not like I'm cutting you off. I'm never going back there again with you. But when we continually revisit the mercy and the grace of God in our life, it compels us to love others in light of that. So for a moment, would you bow your heads with me just to shut out all the distractions around you and close your eyes. Father, we're your kids. You know us well. Even though we attempt to hide things from you, it is impossible for us to hide something from you. And so today we stand here with our hearts and our minds revealed to you as our loving Father. And, for, and Lord, for some of us, forgiveness has been really tough. We've been hurt really bad and we're continually wounded. So we're struggling with that, God, and you know that. God, for some in this room, Lord, we've moved beyond a strong dislike And we've moved into the area of hatred. And God, we don't want to become bitter. Because bitterness, God, destroys everyone around us. But we don't know how to love them. God, for some in this room that you have spoken to their hearts and you've called them to love someone that's different and someone that's A challenge. And God, how do we do that? And God, we realize today that we do that in the shadow of your mercy to us. That we step back in the moment of our life and we remember, we remember where we were and how you rescued us. we remember the extent, God, that you were willing to and did go to reach us. And God, in light of that, it removes the boundaries, the walls. It enables us to build bridges to love even in the challenging moments of our lives. So, Father, may we leave this place Loving others in the shadow of your grace and mercy in our lives. And God, in that moment when we want to hate, in that moment when we want to get revenge or repay evil for evil, may we step back, God. And may we step back away from that situation and we just remember your mercy. And then we step back into it and we love in light of your love for us. Thank you, Father. Because we're all valuable in your sight. And all the Zanebs in the world are valuable, God, in your sight. You love us all. And we give you Thanks. Amen.